Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Uh, we are talking with Alex Golud, uh, the Vice President of Business Development at Intetix, I-N-T-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Uh, we're talking with Alex today about outsourcing software development to Minsk, Belarus, and Kharkiv in the Ukraine. Uh, you can find an edited transcript of this interview either at midwestbusiness.com or intlalliances.com. Here we go. Well, um, Intetic's website is pretty much dynamic. It's changing quite frequently, so you, you probably uh, noted that it's test-led, but it's not our primary or core service offering. Present for most the global software development company. Historically, we've been doing liquid ITO and information technology outsourcing. Then we delved into some other areas and the most popular service now is also the game development teams that we can address later in this discussion. And you also mentioned compatibility testing. What compatibility do you test? In other words, what compatibility do you test? Um, compatibility testing is a technical term that basically describes any testing for versions, operating systems, platforms, making sure, or internet browsers, etc., making sure that when you uh, bring some new products in the market or system, that it will work with, say, all major browsers, all major platforms, whether it's Windows, Linux, Unix, etc. So, when you say compatibility, it sounds like compatibility with anything. In other words, I mean, even a software product with whatever, many different types of compatibility, but right. not any specific thing. Yeah, pretty much it's dictated by the client's requirements. Mm -hmm. More often than not, they want to test against, you know, various browsers like the and we have in-house uh, in-house test lab that uh, tests now by about eight or ten professionals that are doing full time. They are trying to do some projects, etc. Okay. Um, how do you look at your website? When I went to the news section of your website, it appeared as uh, a product or a platform called Web Space Station. And this it doesn't appear to be as much of a focus anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. That's an interesting story. Um, Synthetix is fairly new name that's been adopted um, about, I would say, four or five years ago. Workspace mm -hmm. Station is pretty much the old brand, the old name of the company uh, as it existed previously. Mm -hmm. And it's quite embarrassing to admit that Workspace Station name came about during internet craze. When, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. when everyone wanted to, to have web or internet in their names, mm -hmm. uh, golden years, 90s, 1990s, 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, so basically now it's in and it's business. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and you also mentioned that you have a 
Yeah, that's in our plans, but one of those schedule things that never go away because of some old clients and old references, so to speak. But um, you can take a look at your website. It looks like you do a lot of different things. Is there something specifically that we should say to conceptualize? Um, with special, we are really technology consultants, technology experts. So, um, our main expertise in, in various new technologies. We have several groups. Of course, we have web design and flash groups. But we have PHP and Perl and Java and uh, Microsoft.net and other frameworks technologies. So um, we, it's kind of uh, maybe um, not strange thing to say, but we are technology generally. We are not technology agnostics, but we. Uh, we have the best, we have people who, who can do more than the one thing. Uh, we were not only with technology agnostics, of course, we are stronger in some technologies than in others, but we also industry agnostic, we are not vertical companies. Uh, some other, um, some other competitors say that specializing in say, financial or insurance systems. Mm -hmm. We have plenty of experience implementing those types of systems, but I cannot say whether specializing in applications or certain industries, whether insurance, financial, or e-learning. Mm -hmm. um, but those are the industries that have, we have more expertise only because we implemented more systems. And if you're outsourcing software development, I think quality is always a concern to people. How can you guarantee or assure clients of, of quality delivery to software development? Well, um, we've been in business for over 12 years, and we, of course, struggled through some projects and some deliveries, etc. Over the last five years, we made, I would say, tremendous progress in, in quality. One of the things we undertook is ISO certification. So, uh, ISO 9001 um, certified company now. We did it for both, both of our uh, software centers in Belarus uh, and Kharkiv, Ukraine. Um, basically, ISO 9001 certification is uh, guarantee that all our processes are current to strict standards. Uh, it's quite common denomination, so to speak. Uh, the other one that we never took since it's very expensive and uh, really time-consuming for us is CMN, Compatibility mm -hmm. Maturity Model, and we are contemplating doing that in the future as well. Um, in terms of development methodology 
and everything else, we are building our business on pretty much Western U.S. model. Um, so it's easy to, uh, easy to adjust for client requirements and needs. I would say that quality is probably one of our best distinguishing advantages as it comes uh, in comparison to some other vendors. Uh, there are several there are several benchmarks that uh, of course outside certification that exist and that we analyze in terms of development codes uh, that are parts per say I think thousand or ten thousand lines of code. And our um our numbers are consistently in uh, 25% best, like what uh, Gartner calls medical. Yeah. I'm not really, I don't really have development background, so it's a little bit difficult to talk about specifics there, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Because you have to have the you need to get tied to technical but I think you have to Yeah. Um, I also read that this client of yours are looking at using OBT offer development team. Did you do customize that team to your client offer? How can you do that? Um, well, the concept of OBT is not new at all. And I don't think we invented uh, Anything new here? What matters is obviously also the dedicated development team uh, is the team that's really extension of IT departments here in the state for any larger organization or smaller one for that matter. And what really happens is the control of, of the team is not solely in our hands. I would say it's the other way around. We're turning around and put control over over this team into client hands. We basically insist that for the success of this arrangement, the client should have dedicated person with point of contact on the client side. And how it works normally, uh, the client participates in all aspects from the very beginning. They, they have ability to um, interview people on the phone. They, they have opportunity to give us early feedback that the person is not the right person for your team so then, you know, replace them. And they just done uh, the goal of uh, Those people are our employees. It's not like captive employees. It's not DOT, it's not built of the uh, Those people are full-time on the project long term so they can gel and have some chemistry with local things but they're still in Tetris employees and after the projects are done and there is no need to you know do anything else at that point when there is no workload for them they will move on to another project but uh, more often than not they can build their project uh, minimum six months maximum I would say three four years and they're not getting bored because they're uh, as anyone else working in IT, they will have several different projects. 
the Kaplan fell on this one's platform. So when we say um, customizing to the culture, that means that they're really part of that global team, and that's how we approach it. Yeah, it's certainly not yeah. You know, if you're working together with people in Belarus and Ukraine, and in some cases they've never been to America, it would be difficult for them to understand and assimilate American culture when they're working together with or for American culture. Mm-hmm. I kind of understand it, but... Um, from city cultures, there are some barriers, but they're not as significant as some of our perspective plans think. Um, they uh, they come around. I don't think that is serious uh, communication there from the uh, language standpoint. And and there are and there are simply um, I would say it takes time, but um, I would say that we don't see culture there serious. I mean, there were some people who, who had uh, rather weak communication skills or not enough language skills and they should not be client facing such as all that. Um, 95, 100% of our uh, staff who are client facing who communicate with the client have good enough command of English to communicate. It's whether that it happens and they can Quite significant 
and it's effective. It's effective for us to So basically, it's not really about um, us and them. Uh, I would say that some clients and some clients that are uh, would better fit into, you know, Indian also in general, some into Chinese and some into us. And what's, what's really happening, the trend is now because most of the major organizations, like Fortune 100 companies, are, what they're really doing is multi-sourcing. They do not take one service provider for anything anymore. They want to diversify, they want to spread the risk. So one of the things that they're doing is geographic knowledge. They usually have a team of centers in India. They have another center in they have China or Philippines, depends on you know, their call center. And they they might have their center in New York. And most of the larger clients of ours, they're not exclusively uh, outsourcing their work for or doing OGT. They might have some relationship with India or China. It doesn't bother because the pie is still very large and it's growing price. So. There is enough pieces for everyone, as of now. When you start answering that question, you said it's not on price, and not to get into any detail of the pricing model, but can you give me an idea of the scale of the difference between you and, say, the Indian outsourcers? This is very dynamic uh, in terms of pricing. It's, it's not stable at all, and it, it, it has it is growing, but I would say that uh, anyway, between 20 and 30 percent more than average average Indian provider. Uh, OGT, of course, is much cheaper because OGT is long term and it's not like time material, but you know, much less risk for us. I believe it was 16 service, but I'm wondering how can you afford to charge a big fee if the volume of work that you do may vary quite bit? It's pretty in the concept. With all the key arrangements means to longer term commitment. We start with six months. At least now we're moving towards ADA minimum. So basically, they're having people, it's really also a supplementation arrangement. Our clients are hiring their team for one year and they pay them full time. Mm-hmm. Not including like all this allocation, but they're paying for the hours with at the very least. And the charge is very monthly, so there is really no risk for us. Uh, so if the client is very small, uh, but challenge, well, this is probably not for them if they do not have uh, very intensive uh, IT needs. If they cannot guarantee workload for our people for four years, they should not really hire because they, they end up losing money. Okay. Um, we are talking about, you know, some of the companies that uh, use us are large organizations in the States and also here in the UK. For someone who m- might not be large, they might be startups, but those are finance startups that have 
very clear goals in mind. They have five year old map and they execute it without help. So. Um, I do not have exact numbers at this point. Uh, I would have about 100 people total in Belarus, and we have close about 50 people in Arctic Ukraine. Not all of them um, technical or games or developers or, or, or great staff, but I would say most of them. We also have, you know, regular things. Accounting, sales, etc. Et um, it's not quite like Google or Microsoft in terms of number of tests you have to take to get through, but uh, we have everything from English tests to online technical tests to, to qualify people, and most of them, not all of them, most, most of them already experience people who come from other organizations. They are not, they are not just fresh, fresh grads. Uh, for grads, uh, we are looking uh, not for experience, but I would say promise to, to deliver. Uh, we have some training problems, of course, in-house and outside that uh, we, we do have some emphasis in training and development of our employees. But uh, we, we have HR um, that has pretty strong mechanisms. Um, choosing the best. I will decide by no means. We will make a lot of mistakes. It's very fluid environment. Uh, it's also very competitive. There are a lot of people who don't fit into our culture, uh, but same is true for Microsoft and Google for the world. Some of them better off working for, you know, government or something a little bit more stable. Nine to five concerns, you know, that's not us. There are a lot of four hours, a lot of pressure to do with the family sometimes. But it's, uh, it's um, there are, of course, cross-training and people are experienced to begin with. Uh, there is cross-training development opportunities, but we also built, uh, you know, built expertise in, in various areas. So we have, we have teams that are specializing in Microsoft technology, primarily that we have teams that are specializing in uh, HP technologies, etc., um, etc. Et so, um, Having said that, it can potentially be a problem. Uh, for all mainstream skills, it's easier. But to give you an example, uh, we do not have a group for people 
maybe one out of hundred fifty that specialize in cobalt or not cobalt. Very young company, meaning we've been in business for 12 years, but most of the people who work for us are young. They don't have any interest in cobalt or radio system. They have land back then. No one, you know, started cobalt and cars. Exactly. And uh, the other exception would be, believe or not, my favorite technology, which is Oracle. But, um, Oracle is quite, Oracle and SAP are quite expensive to implement. And there is simply not many implementation of this technology in Eastern world. That leads to the fact that it's less specialist. And that in turn leads to the simple fact that those specialists are very expensive. And there are some, I would say, only a large cities in Russia have specialists and maybe Kiev, which is capital in Ukraine. But there are simply not enough specialists, you know, we um, will probably have cobble, you know, so that's about it. Um, and I think you can ask the qualifications of your developers. How do you certify the CD communications that most of the developers and these developers are non-native English speakers? Well, they're all non-native English speakers. I don't think we would have um, a single one who is native English. For them, English is second language. Um, but to give you an example of how prevalent is English in our culture is uh, of course, it's not like India, but um, I started studying English growing up there from third grade. So, ten years in school, six in college, technical translation, interpretation projects, etc., etc. Uh, there are a lot of people, not necessarily technical now, that who graduated from you know uh, from university when they started English profession. They made it in English. Or German for that matter. And. Uh, I would say most of this happened and accelerated after Berlin Wall fell, but as I said, most of our people are young. So most of the young, younger college graduates. Speak English and definitely can write English and read English, especially technical. You know, English is language for business, international business. Uh, Undisputably now, let's wait until Chinese, you know, will we'll take several to just matter of time. It will be fairly close. Uh, it's not perfection. Well, I'm not sure. And then I think that's the greatest thing anywhere I've ever seen. Well, on the other hand, do you try to promote Americans trying to learn other languages? And then they don't talk about that. And is that an advantage for you if you can take advantage of it? It definitely helps, yeah,
but when what your question, uh, that the thing that's kind of important. We, when I go there, uh, since I live in Chicago for that many years, I, I personally, I want to sit through some interviews and ask questions and test the English knowledge, you know, and go for my partner, actually. Uh, 14 years. So, uh, English is important. I can't emphasize this enough. English is important. If you, if you communicate with the client, it's important. Uh, the thing that strikes me most, there are some people there on our side. That's fairly good in English. I would say even very good. But they are afraid to speak to the client. They would exchange instant messages, emails all day long. But when it comes for, uh, for the conference call, they get a little bit uneasy and scared, you know? Uh, yeah. uh, I would say in comparison with other Asian American competitors, uh, English protocol people are very strong. I, I don't have any doubt about it. And I guess, you know, getting to other competitors, how do you manage your foreign development and intellectual property for us can be like, or for Eastern Europe can be perceived probably. I never, in, uh, we've been in business for 12 years, I, I never really experienced that hand. Uh, in terms of IT. Well, the code belongs to, to our clients. It's in the country. We, uh, we do all deliveries that are, uh, non-disclosure agreements, etc., etc., that we signed from the very beginning. And, um, the, there was simply never a problem. And most of the intellectual, yeah? Not in our organization, I would say, never even in, I can say about it in most of the companies that are based in Minsk, uh, Minsk was our original office. Uh, I've said about some cases in Russia, uh, kind of not very major cases. I've said a lot about it in Indian. China and I think Philippines, but I haven't had those type of cases in Eastern Europe, at least it's not prevalent. I haven't had about it in Neutral, like Latin America. Yeah, so. uh, of course, we, we save that intellectual property of our as much as we can. There's no doubt. Uh, it will damage our reputation permanently. It will allow anything like that. So. I agree with that notion. However, the code itself, say, our, um, um, our team is developing the code, some kind of intranet or, or automation or anything. 
all, all the problems all that matter of internal things, some full life cycle problems with us. What they're really going to do with the code, it's really out of content. They cannot use it. There are some reusable components in software, there are some libraries, etc., etc., but, you know, those are reusable. If they, if they take, if they take this code out of context of the project, it's pretty much useless, uh, as far as I know. Uh, I mean, I would be a little bit more concerned about, um, other things, you know, the granted employees who will destroy the work of the whole team, you know, before even and that productivity stuff, but I do not see our clients uh, having serious concern over intellectual property. I mean, can that be known? Uh, yeah, we have, um, we have several checks and balances. Uh, we have our environment is physically secure. It's, it's not like orchids when you can walk in. Uh, there is physical security. Um, there is also um, network security and some of the clients in Switzerland having their own virtual private networks for their privacy, especially for DC. And of course, the brand is which is totally fine that their team has separate access to, to the project, but none of the other employees of Intetic can, can get in, even remote and even through some <laughs> alignment of staff, so to speak. Yes. Now, I've also seen you combine your, your work schedule with the workout reading. How long do you feel about working and four in the afternoon? Five, you know, five. Uh, okay. That, um, that's something that doesn't happen very often during some busy times for study delivery and for specific, uh, communication, conference calls with the client, of course they, they do stay late and work later. Uh, what we have though, um, we have shifting, um, shifting schedule for our um, sales and client management. That means that we have someone available to answer the questions to communicate with the client until midnight. And that's more important for the client. Uh, to be productive, uh, time difference really helps. It's not, it's not an obstacle. What really happens normally? Uh, there are at least several overlapping hours during, um, let's say, when, when it's morning in the US, it's, it's eight hours time difference, not seven, eight hours time difference. Which, um, it's in Europe, so they have all kinds of communication in the morning. Say, at about 11, 12 o'clock, the Chicago time, people leave, um, but they have, um, that gives opportunity to local team, answer some questions, make some progress. So then they go 
they go out and enjoy the evening. In the morning, our staff comes in and takes care of those requests. And it's kind of, it's not as bad as some uh, distance with, uh, you know, some other countries. India has 10 and a half, 11 hours with the And uh, also keep in mind that we are not strictly, um, you know, we do not have just USB clients. And for people in Germany, one hour time difference. Switzerland, one hour. UK, two hours. So. Um, well, sometimes it's a problem when clients want something right at the moment and it's 4 o'clock in Chicago, you know. Do those things happen? Yes, they do. How can we avoid it? Just by better planning, better preparation, better communication. They are well aware of time difference. They, with all due respect, it, it takes two to ten, you know. They have to adjust a little bit sooner. They should expect some to pick up the phone and pick that up in a few nights. Um, well, it's somewhat different. It, it does have different feel and look, uh, but uh, they're not basing them uh, judgment or they're not making decisions just based on the resonance TV. They usually have opportunity to talk to people via phone, email, and instant message before they come up with decisions. So, and, well, it's just a little cultural phenomenon. It's just a little different. I agree with that. Okay, and, and a couple other things about your partner. Um, you mentioned that you do have offices in Germany and the UK. I read your German uh, they are more like the partners, they are representatives. They do not uh, draw any salary from us. Uh, they draw commissions and some, you know, they have expense, expense accounts on the needed. They all have other interests rather than just representing initiatives. They are more like our representatives slash reseller. Uh, we do not have actual office there, but as long as we understand it, what's important here, uh, Germany or UK? Uh, I guess so. Germany and UK, uh, I'm here sure for Belarus and Ukraine, and it's so much easier to meet. So there is much more traffic going back and forth. Our clients do prefer to visit our development centers, and 
you know, honestly, they were never disappointed, meaning that they did not um, leave us as, as a service provider because of what they saw in Minsk or, or Hyperstar, for that matter. So, that uh, exists, and it is our, our client managers, our service managers, go and visit um, clients and go, we exhibit at service, you know, we exhibit at some other European events in Russia, and we actually, um, we are participating in the, our personal summit in Kiev today and tomorrow. So, it's, it's much more interactive, it's much more face-to-face with your than face-to-face, but, uh, believe on us, there are several of our clients who wanted to go to Minsk and to Ukraine and they went there. So more clients went there than we've got people here you know, so over all those years. Oh, uh, there is some um, kind of smaller company, our it's just partnership. Uh, I wouldn't say it's very integrated, so We have several clients in UK and our client base that actually grows. So. Uh, that's a good question, and I have hopefully good answer for that. Um, that goes back to the history of Synthetics. Synthetics started in early 95 in one location in Belarus. There was simply no other location. Um, founder of Synthetics uh, and current CEO and President Boris Pantorey was uh, in charge of basically everything. There was a small group of engineers developers. Uh, then headquarters moved to Prague Czech Republic. I don't remember that was before I started. And um, then at the end of 2002, we established a company here. And synthetics, by the way, stands for Internet Technology Ethics. It, it does have some abbreviations. It's kind of strange name, it's difficult to pronounce. Internet Technology Ethics. Ethics and trust is important. And uh, we wanted to somehow reflect it in our name back then. It's somewhere, yeah, it's got to be somewhere. I hope so. Yeah, internet technology. That was that for Anyway. Um, the reason being, okay, what it was based in part for, uh, several years, and there was one office in you know, and there were some sales, and more or less, you know, he, he was there. Uh, then, um, we established synthetics and incorporated in Chicago, uh, because I was there. <laughs> That's, I yeah, I joined the company, and we decided to bring headquarters to Chicago and actually both moved there and that all happened uh, late 2002, early 2003. 
and then that's when I joined Statics as a partner and uh, due to some, I would say, several factors, why we established second development center. Lack of political stability in Belarus and uh, shortage of qualified resources. Uh, I don't think know what more important. Probably second, more important than that, kind of diversification. I'm not putting all eggs on one basket. So uh, we established uh, our Ukrainian office, I think, in late 2004, 2005, something like that. The date, exact date escapes me. There was long preparation and we looked at several other locations. In those, all three, uh, partners of synthetics are from Minsk, of course, it's logical to have, have something there. Uh, we, we chose Kharkiv, Ukraine because of um, pretty similar um, advantages and characteristics there. It's the city of about a million people, famous Minsk. It has very strong educational base. There are several universities um, that are based there. It has a pretty well-developed infrastructure, and it, uh, it has a lot of technical specialists who look at time. Not all major inventions. So. Uh, well, moreover, of course, Ukraine, Ukraine has um, much, much better business climate, and it's more perceptive to um, technology and business investments, and it's also, it has better reputation than last hour. Western clients, which is, you know, the left, but not least. We did we did market research, we looked at several locations, we kind of shortlisted Kharkov, uh, I believe few cities in Russia and few cities in Ukraine. But then we we made the decision to go to Ukraine rather than Russia by, you know, researching various things, including um, educational, salaries, infrastructure, laws, etc., etc., and then we started looking for the partner, some who can, uh, partner, some who can lead our new office, help us out with everything. And uh, that's how we, we found uh, we found few people, we interviewed them, we met with them. It was pretty lengthy process. But, uh, of course, we wanted to have home own doors. We didn't want to end up all you know. That's very important for us. I would say about six months, maybe eight months. No, it was it was a lot of due diligence. And I'm not saying that everything worked out perfectly, but uh, now a couple of years we can see the truth. You know, it really bears the truth because it, we think that that is the right thing to have our sense of, and we think we can grow. 
Drogar has probably six hundred people very soon hopefully by then to talk. Drogar has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to Belarus, then we decided, but my close colleague, Charlie, recommended against it. And I believe this time, this is 12 years ago, I think I needed a visa, where did you send Belarus? Uh, you still need a visa to go to Belarus, yes. I have, um, I have supplement to my passport. I have so many visas to Belarus and Russia and some other places. Mm-hmm. And I travel, you know, it's not much more than in the States, and yeah, I can use supplement after four years. <laughs> 48 more pages, that's what it is. Yeah, it's not for lazy people, for sure. It takes time, I have to send my one and only year successes to embassy in Washington every time I want it. I want to go, yeah. And it costs $100. Okay. To be honest, absolutely nothing. Uh, I think it was political statement, and it could potentially affect us. Uh, it might, it might potentially affect some larger players. We are not really. I think we are well below, or rather, you know. Uh, having like 100 people when uh, some of the other organizations are much larger than us. And I do not have any information that uh, any major players in IT pulled out. I think it's the other way around. I mean, it's, it's been pretty much better year for Georgian uh, IT. Not really. I uh, I'll probably um I can elaborate on that maybe if we get into some other specifics, but I I don't really think it creates the problem. Uh, our our only problem that uh, it's really at times labor shortage, you know. So, but then because we have way too many competitors who are willing to store our best resources and to grow both ways, of course. So, it's, it's the problem that India faces. Uh, there are way too many companies. Uh, there is not much consolidation, and that is the problem. But government does not 
interfere in business methods of IT at the very least. You know, that's not something that we face so far. Uh, government does not employ surprisingly a lot of IT specialists. Uh, but yes, there might be some, yes. Absolutely not. I think golden share means that uh, there were some um, enterprises that were government and they were privatized. You know, they became private. And however, government kept the golden chain, those enterprises. There is really no, uh, there is no connection between Intelligence and the government. We do not, I'll, I'll come back to that a little later, but uh, there is really nothing of that nature. We would not be there more than likely. Yeah. Um, well, in all honesty, this is probably true statement, close to true statement in general. But it does really affect IT industry, as I think I won't call IT industry independent of anything that's going on, but uh, government and presidential rhetoric were no, no, never really affecting IT industry. As a matter of fact, uh, there are really four um, masters of IT outsourcing in New York. When I say masters, it's not like India, so anyone who, who has all a thousand people would be considered master. Four of them I need to understand the Russian. So um, that's number one. You know, and there are some facts that IT, uh, IT industry is, is really uh, independent from, from government. And that's why IT companies and so many IT spent a life over less than years. And they're all thriving, you know. There are more and more players, more and more competition on the other way around. We are a little bit isolated from some of those issues because uh, we own our offices in Minsk uh, and uh, Kharkov. That means that uh, they are subsidiaries and they do not have to, uh, to, to, do, to have all those strict financial reporting regulations uh, since it's really foreign enterprise. I mean, there are some, and how does it affect us? 
Well, bottom line, <laughs> you know, it affects all sorts of the doors. So we have to live with that. But that, that, by the way, is definitely, that definitely affects our, our rate. And the fact that, uh, you know, we are a little bit more expensive than some of the clients would think of course, of, of course, affects maybe some of business. Uh, Exactly, and we would not license anything to we do not have a single Belarusian client in Belarus. Uh, we have, I think, some Russian clients, but uh, we do not have Belarusian or Ukrainian clients for that matter. So, uh, I think the government is more, um, I would say, concerned that people pay taxes. There is employment taxes. There are all kinds of taxes. I'm not quite familiar with all of them. That's why we have that partner in with in charge of all this, but, uh, you know. It's probably true for Ukraine now, after, you know, after Orange Revolution and all this, you know, opening up the country, yeah. In a sense, that says, maybe you make it more easy, people will feel better about it. That's very tough. I agree. Um, I guess on the other side, it does sound like spicy, then you do have a problem with that. Yes. <laughs> it's risky water, actually. Uh, it's not unlike anything else. You go to the vault, you know, you, you want to open office in the UK, you'll probably expect less risk, but better pretty much less reward, you know. Uh, I would say that most of the companies who want to establish software development centers there don't do it that way. They would employ us or they would say hire the work who has office in in me to do some independent research, you know, on the industry, on the players they set research before doing anything. Spend money there. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the best, you know. I would even say more they probably don't go. They probably won't be able to navigate this system. 
it's very bureaucratic, it's, you know, there is strong government and uh, there are some cultural differences. And uh, if they simply hire somebody on because it's cheaper from the street to run the office, more than likely they will not succeed. I just don't see that. Uh, well, that, that's, that's the whole, um, you know, background behind even OVT. Why, why open their own software center when they can hire things from us, you know? Minimizing risk, much more expensive because they assume our overhead, of course. But uh, I think this, otherwise the investment can, can be zero. I, I call it an wrong, you know. I call it an wrong type of investment, you know. I'll cut the subject, but uh, it's really not unlike anyone. I'm, I'm playing U.S. stock market for many years, and I did have Enron stock right before it exploded. Um, small position would matter. When I sold it and paid commission, uh, of course, you know, my, my brokerage account, it, it amounted to $4. So my whole Enron investment was a um, cup of latte. I was even told not, not grounded in Starbucks. So, Having said that, that, yeah, it's risky environment to navigate, but there are some immense rewards. Yeah, and, okay. It is it's definitely a problem, but um, maybe in a little bit from a little bit different angle. Uh, it's it's there is no direct hit on on IT because government employs eighty percent. Since uh, since government does not employ a lot of IT experts, um, there is. There is some kind of system on some, some of the IT folks have to work for the government for certain term, but then they want to come back after this obligatory, mandatory term, they will come back to private business because private business pays better. How can hire people? Uh, there are several technical universities that churn out a lot of good specialists every year. So educational basis very important for us. And this is a very established industry that primarily was for, for Western clients. Uh, there are a lot of specialists. And actually, labor shortage. Uh, there's basically not much shortage of uh, qualified specialists. The problem is they're all employed. So you have to overpay for them. It is a problem for us. We're not, we're not monsters. Uh, but let's say the um, checkpoint. It's not as large Israeli company that um, specializes in IT security products, high level services. And they came to me. Oh, that was easy for them. They offered them 50% more, and everyone wants to work for them. So that's, that's the whole thing. So it's definitely not unlike India. Definitely not unlike India. There is labor shortage and there is explosion of salaries there. And we, we deal with the same type of problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
No, I actually I even checked with my colleagues because I don't name, I don't know anything about it. I think the best I can say that it exists is <laughs> a recent summary, but uh, that's not where we're at. There is another organization, it's called InfoPark of High Technology, uh, and that's a kind of conglomerate of IT companies uh, that, um, that is not like any association. That, that is lobbying for some preferential treatment of IT industry, you know, tech-related business equipment, and it has actually pretty strong um, support from government. Yes. It's something that, well, let's put it this way. Um, I think government maybe wants to establish some control of IT industry. want to know a little bit more. But they, they also know that I think this is profitable and growing and uh, people who work there make much more than average salary in the Republic of Belarus. And uh, it's something that uh, maybe in that project of the president, they want this. I guess he read something about Silicon Valley and wants to implement it in but in all honesty, if a joke aside, there are so many qualified specialists there, some really good companies. And just wait of time until uh, uh, until we go head to head with larger companies. It's just more countries. But if you take all this in Europe, I would say it's going to be the fourth in, in our person. It's kind of catching up, yeah. Yeah, there is no question. Well, that's the reality of life, you know. So, uh, it's, I would say, exactly the same kind as for Belarus. Yeah, we would want access to be lower, but it's not possible to play the game, you know. Uh, there are available access limitation strategies that work in any country and we employ, you know, we employ um, consultants uh, in absolutely legal transparent way that help us there. Um, local um, local tax organization in terms of their unfair treatment, yes, there are, there are some examples of that. I just uh, I just confirmed it with my colleagues, but uh, we personally haven't experienced that. Having said that, we've been in dealing with that for about three years. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, 
have never had to go to court to have the example of experience dealing with the rule of law of the government. Fortunately, no. Not at the moment. So it would be difficult to come and come back and look at the experience. Um, I'd say probably two statements, but it's not really a problem because we do not really expect preferential treatment from the government. We do not expect that they will take interest in, in us and invest or um, provide us with some advantages. And to be honest, IT, IT is a uh, pretty stable growing sector in Ukraine, and it's not the most problematic. There are some serious problems there with, uh, you know, old legacy sectors, manufacturing, agriculture, etc. And that's where the focus is for, for Ukrainian government. And I won't say that they're doing that job of the, that there are a lot of, you know, uncontinuous accusations, you know, corruption, etc., etc., but, you know, I would probably say we have some political rhetoric for this point. Yeah, I agree, and it's true for both of and Ukraine. You know, I see that so much problematic and, you know, it brings some taxes into space, you know, kind of uh, why it's like problem for them is why bother putting more control into that when it's growing and it's not so much problematic. So. Um, uh, could you clarify this question about understaffed units? What the... Um, I would say that we haven't experienced that either, uh, as I said, all intellectual rights for our clients, they basically, they belong to our clients as soon as we are done with the work, you know. We do frequent deliveries. As for infringement of synthetic rights, yes, we have a couple instances when uh, our competitors uh, here in the state, but it's not a Ukrainian question to me, uh, we're using our collateral material, material almost work to us. Uh, yeah, we have to, yes. And there are also, I think, one Ukrainian group, but also headquarters here in the state. And, uh, once I think it was Russian, so we forced them to take this out of their website. You know, they were using our clients and our uh, our case studies with just some different names. So. <laughs> but here, no. I mean, seriously, I kind of I don't want to sound like answering no. Have experience there for every single question about balancing game, but it's also true. You know. Good evening, yeah. That's national Ukrainian currency, yeah.
unethical and moral when you uh, when you have operations in the country uh, like Belarus uh, because uh, I mean people are people, government is government, and when you start marrying those two concepts, you usually get into very dangerous conclusions. So I don't necessarily agree with uh, some of the statements that that U.S. government. Uh, and very high up officials make about Belarus. They open up to Ukraine, but. Uh, that happened a lot during the year, you know. I would say late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, but most times are gone. <laughs> Not in Belarus. Uh, Lukashenko more or less took them out. He, well, he fought with them and, uh, well, it's not like Russia and Ukraine. He cleaned up a lot of things, yeah, but... Um, there are some talks and rumors. Uh, there are no many high-profile stories like that in Russia and some of the um, well-known businessmen and journalists are being killed, you know. Yeah, I... Well, there are, there are four stories. And Those are really interesting, culturally, culturally rich countries to visit, to begin with, without even establishing any business connection. And I think for someone who has, who has, um, got some less time and money there, it can be very profitable. That's what I think. Um, not, uh, I have pretty much technical background with some entrepreneurship there, and I, uh, I have a degree from university, in a technical university in uh, applied mathematics and um, computer science. I also studied here more technical subjects in terms of special education in international business now. And I don't think it's really required. All three. Uh, well, I mean, knowledge would never hurt as far as I can say if I would have some Better knowledge of international business, some of the, especially some of the legal and financial aspects of this, I would, of course, be better than the other way around. Uh, however, well, I mean, all three of our clients, all three of our partners have technical background. And I would say what we lack is not maybe knowledge of international business, but a lack of sales background. You know, we. We don't know how to sell and call the deals. That's, that's our problem. Next 
of course, I speak Russian, that's my first language. Uh, Yellow Russian is very close to Russian, often close enough, and I speak and at least I understand it. The other languages would be probably Ukrainian and Polish, maybe close to 50%. And I also studied Spanish, so I can get around Spanish-speaking countries, only because I'm quite fascinated by Latin American culture, and so, yeah. yeah. Well, I would say I'm pretty much bilingual, so I, I use Russian and English, um, you know, interchangeably all my life, more or less, you know, all my adult life. And, uh, well, it's I think it helps a lot, you know, and, uh, I'm not ready to sacrifice my, you know, cultural background, I still, uh, I still love Russian literature and Russian theater, so I have a consensus. Chicago has strong, um, pretty strong and healthy Russian community. It's easy to indulge in all cultural offerings that are, you know, that are always Russian theater and music and everyone else who comes through Chicago. There are good Russian bookstores, etc. It's always a matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Polish, but there are 1.5 million cities of Polish to live in Chicago. Not like uh, Spanish speaking, but yeah, it's a growing community. And uh, it's, I think it's quite healthy. I mean. So, for me, it's, uh, it's maybe too much of knowing girl. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, my daughter was born here, and I I talk only Russian to her. I want to make sure she knows Russian. I think she, since she was born here, English would not be the problem for her. Yeah. Um, the only other comment I want to make is probably the fact that uh, people who are not familiar with Eastern Europe and IT industry should not use stereotypical judgments when they think about companies like Intel. Uh, we were first growing dynamic uh, very professional organization, 150 plus people, and uh, just just wanna ask people to um, to use kind of parenting judgment that uh, if there is there is potential work for us, we just wanna be in the beginning. That's what I mean. Uh, I don't wanna I don't wanna decision maker in AP. Uh, say, oh, I will never use services of the company that has business in Belarus and Ukraine. Those type of things, you know. It's just the only obstacle. That thing, you know, price, price is not everything. So.